Good afternoon, my conscious co-creators. Welcome to another edition of the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. I am very, very pleased that you are here with me today. Oh, it's, it's a beautiful, feels like spring again day in New York City. Um, I just came back from a wonderful, wonderful short uh, vacation in uh, Jamaica, a wonderful, wonderful country, beautiful people, very welcoming. I really enjoyed my time down there. So if you hear a little Irie man in my voice, you know why. So I hope you all have had a wonderful week. Thank you for tuning in from around the globe. I'm getting a little, trying to get our live stream going here on Facebook. It's giving me a little bit of trouble, but as soon as we can, I'll let you guys know that the Facebook's live stream is on. I have an amazing guest today that I'm very thrilled and excited about. So let's get started. Of course, let's go with our quotes of the day today from the universe and from Abraham. You know what? It just amazes me. The, the quotes are always so apropos for the guests that I have. So let's get going with the, our quote from the universe. Sometimes when you're feeling your lowest, the real you is summoned. And you understand, maybe for the first time ever, how grand you are. Because you discover that vulnerable doesn't mean powerless. Scared doesn't mean lacking in beauty. And uncertainty doesn't mean that you're lost. These realizations alone will set you on a journey that will take you far beyond what you used to think of as extraordinary. There is always a bright side. The universe. Ah, we just love our quotes from Mike Dooley in the universe. And this quote, I, I think, is just a beautiful one. Even kind of related to what I my thought of the day in the newsletter I sent out this morning. That, you know, being vulnerable does not mean you're weak. And being scared doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong. And, and that, you know, we have this tendency to, to judge our emotions as, as being good or bad. And they're neither really. They're really just part of who we are. And that even though we're uncertain and we're tentative and we're still trying to figure things out, that doesn't mean that we're doing anything wrong. And I think that when we can learn to quiet the self-judgment and, and quiet that part that, that keeps nagging or tugging at us as not being, uh, being the best that we could be and, and not always being on, when we can learn to sort of quiet that criticism, that then we can really embrace our journey and learn so much about ourselves, about life, and, and really have such a richer, deeper journey that it, it, it will always, life always has our back. Life always, in the long run, takes care of us. So a beautiful, beautiful quote from Mike Dooley in the universe to help us get started. And let's see what Abraham has in store for us today. From Abraham. Every time you say, I appreciate that. I really like that. I applaud that. I acknowledge the value in that. Every time you do that, you spend some of your energy, and it is the spending of the energy that creates a vacuum, so to speak, or an attraction, so to speak, that draws more and more and more and more. Abraham. In a very interesting quote, sort of a different way of Abraham sort of approaching the idea of law of attraction, that in the act of appreciation and acknowledgement and in the act of really thriving and, and loving something, what Abraham is saying that that act, that sort of um, a giving of our energy, and that sort of creates a flow, that creates this openness that allows more to come to us. And I think this is, in a way, kind of relates to this idea of having a gratitude practice. You know, you've heard me talk before, and you've heard other people talk a lot about having a gratitude practice every day, and how being grateful is one of the surest ways to bring more good stuff into our lives, that 
in, in this idea of having a gratitude practice that we can really, um, what it does is really create a, a, an opening for more to come. And that the act of gratitude in a sense is really a giving. It's really a acknowledgement that allows us to be more open and feel more and see more. And, and in that openness, it can allow more things to come to us to be grateful for. Wow, two really wonderful, wonderful quotes today that are, are very deep in meaning and, and very deep in their message. So um, if, if you're listening to us live, I hope you'll, you'll re-listen to those quotes afterwards and, and download the recording when it's available at the end of the day and listen to those because they are truly uh, a couple of very deep quotes and kind of unusual. I, usually the, the universe tends to have a little more fun with us and, and this time I think uh, really giving us a deep message, which of course, given who my guest is today, I expect nothing less. And, and I am very, very thrilled to uh, introduce um, my guest, Ralph White, uh, returning guest, I might add, who's been on the show once before talking about Rudolf Steiner. This time we're going to be talking about the Open Center, of which he is the co-founder. Um, the Open Center, as many of you know, is New York City's leading center for holistic learning for the last 32, really 32 years now, Ralph. It's true. Wow. Um, and uh, he's the author of his new memoir, The Jeweled Highway, On the Quest for a Life of Meaning, which is mostly what we're going to be talking about, a wonderful, wonderful book. Um, he has directed for over 20 years a series of conferences on the lost spiritual history of the West and also on the art of dying, spiritual, scientific, and practical approaches to living and dying. Born in Wales, he came to the U.S. as a Fulbright Scholar. Um, and his life kind of placed him at the heart of the holistic movement over the last 40 years, back when nobody knew there was a holistic movement 40 years ago, right? <laughs> um, he is a world traveler, public speaker, creative director, editor, conference director, and, uh, and was involved in the anthology The Rashikrushan Enlightenment Revisited, which emerged from his Esoteric Quest conferences, which he founded. And those uh, Esoteric Quest conferences, those were actually like sort of travel destination conferences, right? Well, or yes. were they local? No, they're all done in the local. It began in Bohemia with that one that you uh -huh. mentioned, the Rosicrucian Enlightenment Revisited 20, 21 years ago. Uh -huh. And now we have one coming up in Iceland, an esoteric quest for the mysteries of the north oh. at the end of August. Wonderful, yeah. wonderful. Well, great. Well, it's wonderful to have you here, Ralph. Thank oh, you for, for coming into sign. the studio today. I, I appreciate you, t you taking the time to come in. So... Um, I always, for those people who, who don't know much about the Open Center or about yourself, I, I always like to start off with, with just a little bit of, of background. I mean, born in Wales, I, I know it's a little bit of a story, but maybe we can do the Reader's Digest condensed version of, of how you kind of got, well, let's not, cause it's actually a lot about what's in the book, but um, you know, how did you get from being a young lad in Wales to really being in a sense at the center of this new wave of consciousness of being involved with the open center and being so involved in in the enlightenment movement in the west well it is the proverbial long story and that yeah. is the first two or three chapters of the book well i was born into uh, post-war wales austerity britain you know a sort of a grimy world of playing in bomb sites an exhausted country mm. after the Second World War. Yeah. Uh, my father and grandfather had been in the thick of the uh, Second and, and First World Wars. Uh, I spent some of my childhood, actually the most mystical and beautiful part, up in the north, the, the Irish Sea on the north coast of Wales, uh. which was very beautiful and transcendent. But then, when we were, when I was nine, we moved to the the, the dark industrial north of England, uh. lakes dark, satanic mills, a sea of chimneys <laughs> belching smoke into the atmosphere. Uh. And uh, a 
very difficult area, although there was a saving grace, of course, which was the rock and roll that came from the Beatles 80 miles down the road in Liverpool. Mm. So that's what got me through my adolescence. Then it was on to a university uh, where I did American studies, and that's what led me to come to the States. Um, and then on that Christmas of 1970, take a trip down Route 66, uh, which uh-huh. was a, uh, it turned into a mystical adventure, a spiritual opening. And that's what put me on the path. We would say that in the silence of the deserts, the vast starlit skies, the vast mazes and buttes, hearing the pure sound of silence on some 14th century Native American ruins in the painted desert, it opened my psyche. My mind began to expand mm-hmm. and going from a ra- from being a sort of angry teenage existentialist, I began to open mm-hmm. to the uh, mystical dimensions of the world. And that really led me to leave graduate school and to feel that if these experiences I was having were authentic nothing could be more significant so let me ask you was there something that that motivated you or egged you on to look for that kind of experience yeah you know i was just one of those kids from an early age who knows how old i was seven eight nine ten but Mm. i was um i was always asking the fundamental question what are we here for what is this thing Mm. and uh what i would hear was well you know you get a job maybe you get married maybe you have children then you die i mean that was about it (laughs) it didn't seem to amount to much so i always had these existential questions about the meaning and purpose of the human condition (laughs) to put to put it in language that a 10 year old would not have used and so i think there were always these underlying issues of uh of meaning that could we be in a meaningful cosmos because I, I grew up in a world where I was very aware of the world wars, the Holocaust, Stalin's countless crimes, etc. And um, so for me, it was not an easy step to say, look, we're living in a universe that has fundamental spiritual meaning. Is there even mm. a spiritual dimension to the world? I had to travel a long way to get to that place. Wonderful, wonderful. Okay, so I think we're going to get our Facebook live stream right. working now. Awesome. Okay, oops, we're going to be wonderful. Welcome, everybody. Right. I'm going to switch this around and get the camera on you. Oh, All yeah. right, there he is. All right, here we are. All right, good. We're live on Facebook. Um, so really, you, you at a young age sort of had that, that internal sort of you know, desire to find the truth. What are we yeah. here for? That real right. sort of existential passion, existential mm-hmm. passion sort of driving you on. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time that you had that experience in the desert, was it a surprise that it came to you at that time? Or, or really, were you just expecting it and, and totally open and, and kind of knew it was coming? No, I, I would say it came as a genuine surprise. Okay. I mean, I, I did, have, like everybody at that time of the cusp of the 60s and 70s, everybody wanted to go to California. Yeah. Of course, I'd always wanted to go down Route 66. It was the first track uh, on the first side of the Beatles, of the Rolling Stones' first album. Right. Um, <laughs> and I'd seen those deserts in countless Western movies, etc. But no, I was actually taken aback by the grandeur and silence, the vastness, uh, the mm. huge skies. It, uh, it was uh, no it came as something of a revelation it's true we were listening to uh, george harrison's all things must pass album all the way down ah. road 66 of my sweet lord <laughs> all, the way, all the way down the road um and there was that classic sense of adventure excitement and freedom um but it was the mystical and spiritual dimension the attunement uh, to the unity of the nature and the cosmos that came as a surprise mm. to me and that was so powerful that i felt i had to change the whole direction of my life and wow. begin to explore those states of consciousness and, and, and when you change that direction it, it was i imagine a bit difficult and and you probably got a yeah. lot of pressure from friends and family to like ralph what are you doing are you crazy well that's right i mean <laughs> i stepped away from academia to step step off on this uh, spiritual path and I wasn't really sure at the time it, it, uh, was I on the path to enlightenment or the path to psychosis or <laughs> was there any real difference between the two there was, we didn't have open centers and things like that yeah. then you know where you could go and be validated in your nascent world view you had to set off and explore by yourself so yes that was nerve wracking I did wind up moving to uh, Vancouver British Columbia mm. uh, because I, I wanted to be in a place of natural beauty I didn't want to go back to Europe but I didn't know 
know, a soul in Canada, yeah. So yeah. It was a, that was a difficult time for me, selling Canada's first ecological magazine door-to-door, wow. making a quarter on each sale, wow. you know, having many doors shut in my face, not knowing anybody in the country, wondering if I was really on the path. But mm. there were various supportive phenomena that happened, like a, a wonderful little hole-in-the-wall bookstore, the Banyan Books that opened up ah. just around the corner from where I was living at the time, where I could go in there and read for hours. The air was perfumed. There were pictures of saints and mm-hmm. holy men around the walls. And so you didn't have to buy anything. The guy just got back from India a few years earlier, a few months earlier, the guy ah. who started it. So there were helpful paths along the way, moving into an apartment and finding a wonderful book by Doris Lessing, The Four-Gated City, which is about ah. the four Jungian archetypes. Yeah. that uh, are part of individuation. So I felt I had uh, help along the way. But wonderful. yes, it was a lonely and impoverished time. Right. Okay, wonderful. So I want you to hold that thought. I want to talk a little bit more after that, and then we'll let, let, let's get into a little bit about you know your experience with communities and, and what eventually brought you to the Open Center. All right? Mm-hmm. Sure. So everybody, please stay tuned. You're listening to The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Hello, I'm JC. I'm Joan. And And welcome welcome to to 21st Century Entrepreneur. Entrepreneur. We bring education, insight, knowledge, awareness, trouble, craziness, and fun for you, the entrepreneur who's looking to build your business and your community. Listen every Friday from noon to 1 Eastern on talkradio.nyc. And you can tweet us at 21st CE Radio or Talk Alternative. Are you concerned about epilepsy, autism, or diabetes? Are you interested in alternative treatments, the impact of health, or new therapies? Then tune into my show, Frank About Health. I'm Frank Harrison, the host. Tune in on Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc, where you learn more about these illnesses, treatments, the social impacts, and create a dialogue with each other. That's Frank About Health, Thursdays, 1 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We're talking this hour in studio with my guest, Ralph White, one of the co-founders of the Open Center. So, so Ralph, at the time, you, and I really want our audience to, to understand, and one of the things about your book, The Jeweled Highway, um, uh, uh, that, that really kind of struck me about you that I hadn't really realized before is that you've done... A lot of uh, hard labor and work like you know work is no um so, uh, you're no stranger to do working hard are you no no you definitely don't do something like the open center without uh, putting in years of uh, commitment and intense work yeah absolutely and 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 over the years i mean as you said like first this initial sort of um, opening or, or 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 vision that you had that opened you up, and it was you went afterwards and you were selling like a magazine door to door and uh, and things like that, and you you did a lot of other uh, manual labor and and you had other jobs along the way. Um, did you ever have a hard time kind of reconciling sort of the, the this spiritual path that you started walking with the mundane and your your day to day life? Well, I mean, I can't. It was important to me in writing the book, The Jeweled Highway, that uh, I didn't present my life as just 
a carpet that just rolled out easily uh, from Findhorn to Omega to the yeah. Open Center to the Global Network of Holistic Centers. It wasn't that way. There were plenty of times of doubt, of confusion, right. of concern, plenty of times of <laughs> having no money, of wondering whether I was really on the uh, on the path or not. Right. Uh, and I felt I feel that uh, when I talk to people today who read the book, especially young people, I think it's really valuable for people to see once you make a decision to step onto a spiritual path, it's not as if life is going to be a breeze. Right. You, know, you will inevitably have your struggles along the way. Right. And uh, you just have to hang in there and retain a certain faith in your inner vision and the values that you are committed to. Um, and, of course, you broaden your life experience. I mean, like me, whether you're picking pears in the hood of the Valley of Oregon <laughs> with Mexican migrant laborers or whatever it is that you're doing, um, you learn from these experiences. Uh, it broadens right. your attunement to humanity. But, yeah, it, there, there were plenty of difficult times, and I think it's important that people realize that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, because I think it, it really is this, this kind of misconception that a lot of people have, that it's like, oh, well, I started on this spiritual path, and, like, shouldn't life be better for me? But I still have all these struggles and all these problems. Mm -hmm. And it's mm -hmm. like, yeah, and that's part of the path, too, isn't it? No, it's definitely part of the path. Yeah. Okay, okay, since we mentioned it, so so let, let's talk about it a little bit. First of all, where did you come up with the name The Jeweled Highway. Well, I was actually sitting in a local bar in Long Island City, actually. <laughs> and I had come what better up, place? <laughs> exactly, that's where I live. And uh, I had come up with various names. They felt too dry. Mm. Um, and I wanted something imagistic. And so I can actually recall downing a pint of Pilsner Lager ah. in, in a place called Alabar on Vernon Boulevard in, uh, in Long Island City. And it just came to me out of the blue. The phrase just arrived and of course our first thing I did was Google it, say somebody else used this, nobody else had strung those three words together before. So I thought Wonderful. this is it. Beautiful. Yeah. I kind of like it because it, it does bring up that imagery of like there are a lot of jewels. There's a lot of precious moments that you find along the way. But it's not just a road. It's not just a path. It's actually a highway. Yeah. That's right. Which is that imagery of, you know, like there it's it's something a little bit larger or more developed in a way. Yeah, that's right. And there are plenty of roadblocks uh, that yeah. are erected occasionally. <laughs> the detours and construction. Yes. Yeah, so I mean, I love that cover, you know, which shows a beautiful path through the forest. Yeah. The only thing is it's a little more linear yeah. than my life has actually been. There have definitely been a fair number of curves and brick walls and, you know, detours, etc. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I wanted to convey the jewel-like moments, the moments of awakening mm. consciousness, uh, expansion um, but of course I, I wanted to indicate that it wasn't not one non-stop jewel there were plenty right, of right. periods of in between those different jewel like moments right, of awakening right, right. Yeah. so uh, just a quick shout out I, I'm just looking on, on our system uh, the, the, just a big thank you to our listeners from around the world including such wonderful places as Brazil Indonesia hmm. Korea wow and Japan, so thank wow, you all for tuning, as well as the United States, of course. Yeah. Um, and just to remind people, we now have our live stream running up on Facebook. If you want to see the video of me talking to Ralph, well, mostly you're going to see Ralph because he's he's, he's a, 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 a a character full of a man full of character. Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> so he's more interesting than I am. Uh, one of those jewels along the way you, you just briefly mentioned was Findhorn, yeah. and I remember hearing about Findhorn back in the late 70s early 80s and it just the the stories about it and and the people there and it, it just sounded like such a magical place and and i have not yet made it there mm -hmm. um but you were there and i guess i don't know is that considered the early days uh well Tom? i was there in the mid to late 70s uh 76 to 79 i think it was a kind of a golden age at fin mm. it was uh yeah for people who are not familiar with it it's a an alternative spiritual community in the in the north of Scotland, about 25 miles east of Inverness. Um, today, it's an echo village mm. and an international mm. center of holistic learning. But it began in the early 60s with just three broke people living in a windswept <laughs> trailer park. Um, but then one of the founders of it, this woman Eileen Caddy, who had a real meditative gift, she received an inner vision, should we say, of Fintan becoming a center of light mm. and that ultimately it would become 
one point of a global network of light. Now, that was a pretty, that seemed a real stretch for three broke people in an unglamorous part of Scotland in 1962. But in fact, that's what happened. It did become really, when I go, since David Spangler got there, I would say in 1970 or so, it began to become more than just a small group of British esotericists and meditators, and it began to become more vital. So when I was there, it was young British American, mostly people from maybe 20 or 25 different countries, all working to create a, the goal was to create a center of demonstration right. so that we could actually demonstrate that you could really live in harmony with nature and broadly speaking in harmony with each other right. so that's what attracted to me it wasn't really about it wasn't about gurus or any prescribed spiritual right. path mm-hmm. it was about demonstrating that we can live together in a way that's different from the usual competitive yeah i mean it really was one of the first sort of spiritual intentional communities yeah, that were right. created and i remember there were stories about uh, how the people lived, I mean, close to the land, but but in a very very spiritual sense, and really honoring sort of the 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 connection we have to the earth and to the spirit of the earth, and then being able to grow like melon sized strawberries and like you know these <laughs> giant fruits and vegetables <laughs> and, and things that that or at least at least very healthy and, and unusual for that part of Scotland. Is that the case or were those just kind of wild <laughs> Well, there stories? were said to be, I don't know about melon-sized strawberries, but there were 40-pound cabbages said to be, although pounds. by all accounts they were inedible. <laughs> 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 they were pretty tough. Uh, um, oh, but wow. yes, when, when they had the experts from the Soil Association, which is the British organization that oversees organic agriculture, when they came, they said, uh, we cannot account for the abundance of these plants and vegetables uh, uh, by just the nature of the soil. The soil is uh, so sandy. This is a, such a windswept area. There had to be an ec- a factor X. And for, from the spin- Fintorn point of view, that came from attunement to the spiritual forces within right. and behind nature, whether right. you call them nature spirits or devas or whatever. Right. Um, yeah, so it was based on a, a mystical and spiritual attunement to nature. But it, it, the cliche at Fintorn is it, went, it moved from growing vegetables to growing human beings and mm. certainly it was a time of uh, when i was there was there was an enormous oh a palpable sense of love mm. and when you entered findhorn in those days of say 1976 it was as if you entered through a membrane where the the vibration of love was stepped up about four or five percent from where it was mm. in the outside world so it was a very beautiful healing of community uh, feeling of community and in fact i'm still in touch today with um, many of the friends that I made back in my 20s there. I think I I narrate a moment in the book when I arrive at Fenton in a snowstorm on New Year's Eve (laughs) and I walk through the door and I have this immediate sense, but I know half these people, even Mm. though there was only one person in the room I'd ever met before. And indeed, here we are, what is this, how many years later, 40 years later, um, I'm still in touch with many of them and they're they're all over the world and they're all going to be lifelong friends. Wonderful, wonderful. So what would you say of the time that you spent, the three years that you spent there, what do you think changed about yourself the most from when you arrived to when you left? I think for me it was a strong experience of personal healing. It had been a lonely mm-hmm. journey since I sort of left graduate school and at the age of 21 and I didn't mm-hmm. get to Findholt and I was 26, 27. So I'd been on a long, solitary journey, you know, hitchhiking to Machu Picchu, many privations mm-hmm. and experiences as well as beautiful experiences along the way uh, being part of the West Coast counterculture in the Bay Area in the mid 70s too um, but it had been a rather isolated journey so I would say when coming to Fintorn it gave me that sense of family of community mm-hmm. it was healing a sense of placement with the world a sense of meeting hundreds of other people from multiple different backgrounds and ages who all share who shared my values and interests mm-hmm. and um, so, that's an important yeah. thing, community, yeah. and and it's so interesting because I'm seeing just the idea of community and the concept of community becoming more and more intertwined in the, in the spiritual dialogue these days. Uh, that I know for myself personally, in the last couple of years, it, it's been rekindled. Um, but that it 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 kind of this idea of community, you know, was very much sort of in vogue in the seventy right. in the sixties and seventies, and then kind of fell out of favor, I guess, as, as just a, 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 a movement or an idea. And, and now it seems like it's being revived again. Do you feel that? 
I do feel that we need it, yeah. I feel like, you know, of course, nobody anticipated in the 70s that we were going to go into an era of turbo capitalism yeah. and intense focus on individual wealth creation and me, me, me and all yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think we're coming to the point now where we have to we realize we have to operate cooperatively Absolutely. to deal with global environmental issues and so on. Yeah, and also, well, you know, what's the point of individual wealth without the sense of well-being that comes from... Uh, family, community, being feeling embedded in the world and welcomed in the world. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, believe it or not, time to take our next break. So when we come back, let's talk about how the Open Center got started and and where that all came from, okay? Mm -hmm. All right, wonderful. So everybody, please stay tuned. You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We're talking with Open Center co-founder Ralph White and author of the book, The Jeweled Highway, and we'll be right back. You are listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Hi, this is Rob Kay. And I'm Callie Alpert. Are you looking for a show where people talk about real stuff like life, love, the pursuit of being yourself? Well, then you have come to the right place because The Rob and Callie Show is doing just that. For the last 10 years, Rob and I have been having our own version of Sunday morning therapy sessions on the phone, and now we're bringing it to the radio. So tune in and call in live Wednesdays, 8 to 8.30 on talkradio.myc. And that's Eastern Standard Time, so join us. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We're talking with Ralph White. Um, so, Ralph, uh, you, you had that experience in Findhorn. Um, you also had, um, you were involved in the Omega Institute mm-hmm. in, the, in the early days. Yeah, that's right. Um, what kind of drew you into the idea of starting a, a, a spiritual learning center here in New York City? Well, I had I had uh, been involved in really running the first the programs and the first two summers at Omega Institute up in uh, up in Rhinebeck there the big mm. old abandoned summer camp yeah. Camp Boybrook <laughs> as it then was and getting that going from scratch. But I really wasn't cut out for living in upstate, so uh, it was actually through a synchronicity, you might say, through. Uh, that those of our listeners, of course, we've got listeners all over the world, so it'll only be a small minority. But uh, there's a lake at Omega Institute, and uh, before the place had even opened, I met somebody there who I, I recognized from Scotland, from Findhorn oh. years earlier, and he told me about somebody uh, down in uh, New York City who he and a few other people were had a general idea of creating some kind of a center um, in New York City that could be a real focal point for this kind of new thinking, new perspectives, new values, new practices. So he, this guy, um, this Australian guy, basically set up a dinner to meet with this person uh, whose name is Walter Beebe. He was a, a lawyer. And um, we connected, to cut a long story short, and we turned out to have a good balance of skills and that I had the, the contacts, the... Uh, what should we say, the, the vision or um, and the know-how to actually run a center. Right. And uh, Walter had a background in law and business and mm. real estate and things like that. And obviously we shared a vision here. Mm-hmm. And um, so actually it was on Christmas Day, 1982, the only Christmas Day <laughs> he and I have ever worked. We, um, we decided to work together and uh, that I'd start working on it on March the 1st. I figured that would, for March the 1st, 83, it would, I figured it would take us about nine months to get it launched from scratch. Mm-hmm. I had to go back and run the summer programs at Omega that summer of 90, uh, yeah, what was it, 94? 93. 
uh, sorry, I'm sorry, not, I'm beginning the 80, it was 83. Mm -hmm. And then we actually launched, so I had a crazy year where I was doing both Omega and the Open Center in 83. And then we launched the Open Center and, and that unforgettable date, it was January, it was a freezing January night. Mm -hmm. And it was Friday the 13th, ah. 1984, <laughs> with all its Orwellian overtones, <laughs> in the place they said it could never be done because of course the conventional wisdom all those years ago was, ah, get out of here, this is the real world, this is New York. We remember what New York was like 30 years yeah, ago. Absolutely. It was mayhem. So it, it felt like a bit of a wild venture. But it also felt that New York City really needed a focal point where we could bring yeah. in the finest presenters from all over the country, all over the world, and really present a coherent, well-thought-out, um, rigorous approach to the holistic worldview because, of course, it was being dismissed as sort of new age flakiness and so on, left, right, and center, as if, you know, meditation was a fancy word for sleep and, and this kind of thing, and alternative <laughs> medicine. The New York Times was still publishing editorials dismissing every form of alternative medicine uh, as snake oil, um, etc. So we had a long way to go, and when I look at where we are today and how ubiquitous right. uh, holistic things are, whether it's natural foods or whether it's yoga right. or, or mindfulness meditation, it's a, it's a phenomenal change. But yes, 30-odd years ago, 32, 30 33 years ago it was a pioneering endeavor right, but absolutely. I had the you know I had the contacts and I had the energy I was only 34 years old and um, <laughs> well, is there a point over those last 34 years 30 some odd years that you feel was the turning point for the Omega for the uh, open center that really you you felt like the open center has arrived that now you were taken maybe more seriously or that there was really uh, uh, like you knew it was going to thrive and, and that that now it was really um, no longer a struggle, but now it was it was thriving instead of just surviving. Uh, whew, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm sure it was has ever fully reached that point. I can say that um, as soon as the open center appeared, it was greeted with an enormous wave of gratitude and appreciation. Mm. I remember our opening yeah. event at Cooper Union, which was launching a Paul Winter album. There were 900 people or so in that audience. There was just a huge wave of gratitude. So wow. I think from the holistic community, from people attuned to these kinds of values, there's always been appreciation and energy. Mm. We're still waiting for the New York Times to write an article about us. They've scrupulously <laughs> ignored us, even though they now run articles every yeah. twice a week about meditation or renewable energy or whatever it is that comes from the holistic and ecological yeah. worldview. Yeah. Um, so I think we're still, we've still got a way to go before the mainstream falls embraces what we stand for but I think it's a story that's off the mainstream media radar it's a subtle evolution rather than a big right, uh, right. revolution so people tend not to notice if you've got the eyes for it you can see holistic oh, stuff absolutely. everywhere I'm sure yeah. you do Sam we can, you can see it everywhere yeah. all over the city I, all over the country I mean for me uh, I mean just remembering those days you know if you talked about spirituality mysticism alternative healing health meditation I mean, people looked at you like you had three eyes and right. that you were from a strange world yeah. and everything else but now i mean there are yoga centers on like every block in new york city right. and I, there are corporate ceos talking about meditation mm. it, it's no longer i feel on the fringe it may not be at the center of mainstream but it's no longer at the fringe yeah and and like you say it's sort of slowly working its way towards the center yeah, well, I think more and more people are seeing that the holistic and ecological worldview actually contains the seeds of a healthy human future. Right. It's not just some weird little trip or some ungrounded New Age space cadets who lack the emotional maturity to accept the, the existential absurdity of the human condition, etc., right. or all the usual projections that there were onto us, or, mm. or a bunch of hippies or post-hippies. <laughs> um, it's, it's a very serious and important part of uh, a contemporary culture, and it really does carry the seeds for a healthy future. So one of the things that kind of sets the Open Center apart, I think, from other places is you, sort of the academic rigor, I think, you, you mm. imbue in, in all the programs that you offer. And, and this was something sort of very conscious and yeah. very specifically decided by you and Walter and the other people involved has that that rigor evolved or changed over the years or is it just you know you have your standards and you've always kept to them and and that's what's really set you apart 
Well, the three watchwords for me in starting the Open Center were sub- that the programs needed to have substance, depth, and integrity. Mm. I could have filled uh, the Open Center in the 80s with uh, flaky, ungrounded stuff, right. you know. Um, but I always felt this is New York City, this is the real world, and, and right. my, I myself have, have an affinity for deep truth no. i don't i think there's just as much danger in an ungrounded spirituality as there is in an extreme materialism i think we're looking right. for that middle way right exactly so you know i mean there have always there are proud you can't keep on keep something going for a third of a century without there being financial pressures you know to sure. move in certain directions sure. and i'm not saying there haven't had to be compromises over the years but i think the open center has always been committed to what you mentioned because that's what's important i mean that mm. anybody who goes to somewhere like the open center can see these are not uneducated uninformed people we have there are many brilliant people that teach at the open center who attend the open center mm. these are not people incapable of intellectual rigor mm. you want to see that intellectual rigor ma- melded with a sense of soul mm. um and with a sense of openness to the world's mystical and esoteric traditions, and with an engagement towards a social and ecological transformation. Right. Beautiful. Beautiful. So, so what was the impetus behind you starting to write your book? I mean, you've had so many amazing journeys and so many great stories. I mean, you probably could have written like 20 books <laughs> in your life. <laughs> well, the publisher wanted me to keep it to a certain right. length. Uh, and he, I think he had uh, good advice. Keep, keep it keep it as a personal story a personal right, narrative right. But, um, but but what kind of gave you the, what, the push well, to do i it? just felt you know i always felt i should tell this tale uh, i'm a bit of a you know i'm half welsh half irish and uh, so i'm a natural storyteller yes yeah, so um somebody people have always said to me you should write it up and i always had the feeling that i should mm. and i thought it, it's a tale and it can be uh, hopefully it can be an inspirational tale mm. i can say to young people real people of my own generation mm. reading it that you can go against the odds you can follow your heart you can mm. stay attuned to your inner spirit and despite the obstacles and the odds you can actually make a difference in the world yeah. and so uh, don't give up you know when I think of all the young college yeah, students now yeah. graduating with these huge debts and so on with all the pressures on them to conform to get a corporate job and so on mm. and give up on their creative vision I think I wanted it to be there as a source of inspiration to people wonderful say, wonderful yeah. though nowadays I hear at least because I don't have any kids, but for my friends who have kids, that more and more kids graduating college because the job market is so bad, more and more of them are becoming entrepreneurs. And Mm -hmm. so more and more young people are sort of shying away from what was this sort of accepted path when, when we got out of school, which was you get a corporate job, you work at a company for a while, maybe eventually you start your own business, but not until after you've had a lot of experience. Now young kids, they're less fearful about it. They're starting two or three side ventures even when they're still in college so um i think the idea of of encouragement to 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 stick with it is 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 a very valuable valuable lesson for people today and that you know it it's also uh, as you said it's a very personal journey i think just there's a real lesson in that that just because other people found their spirituality through a certain path doesn't mean that has to be your path. And that, you know, we all sort of have unique footprints that lead us in a direction. I have my story, you have your story. Um, many other people who've, who've sat in this room have had their own stories. And every one of them is different. And none right. are any better or any worse than any other. That's right. They're just like individual expressions of who we are as mm-hmm. people, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I think everybody has a story tell, to tell. And uh, there are just, you know, people have different gifts. And they can tell it in different ways. And writing yeah. happens to be one of my gifts. Yeah. So I was happy to take that form. Right. So... so um, so as you mentioned before about this idea of Finhorn being like the first of sort of a network mm-hmm. of global mm-hmm. centers. So you'd consider the Open Center another yeah, point of light around and, the world? And uh, Omega and Esalen Institute Esalen, and the yeah. Canadian Esalen Hollyhock and Oroville in India and so on. We're even getting, I know we have some listeners in China, yeah. we're even getting... Uh, 
centers of personal growth centers emerging in China. In fact, my book is going to be translated into Chinese. I'm meeting with the translator yeah. tomorrow. So Wonderful. it's the first foreign language it's going to be translated into. So oh, really? Yeah. That is, that's really significant yeah. because usually it's translating foreign language. It's going to be Spanish, French, German, something <laughs> like that. Nowadays, people look Chinese. Chinese. I know. It's pretty and, amazing. And, and, and like, I think Russian is probably will be the second foreign <laughs> language, right? <laughs> Who knows? But I should mention that, you know, I just came back a couple of weeks ago from the annual gathering of holistic centers, something oh. I've been part of since the very beginning. There's uh-huh. a chapter in the book called the uh, the Global Network of Holistic Centers. And it's something that people don't know about, that yeah. these centers have been meeting now on mm-hmm. a regular basis for a long, long time, even though we're all autonomous. Mm-hmm. Um, nevertheless, when we meet how, together... How many centers were represented? Uh, well, there were 40 people at this last one. People. I'm not sure exactly how many centers there were, maybe 30 or something, or 20. 25 or 30, um, mostly from North America, but some from Europe and some from Asia, uh, too. Um, And uh, there's even though we we are all totally independent, when we meet, we recognize immediately we're all doing the same larger work. We're all facets of that diamond. And... um, so there's just a tremendous sense of unity, of uh, brotherhood. Mm. Of course, we meet in a spirit of openness, transparency, mutual support, that recognition mm. that we're all part of the greater work of transforming consciousness on the planet. And so, you know, you, you can hear a lot of uh, abstract terms about the planetization of consciousness or the wake, or awakening to a new way of being. But when you go to the annual holistic centers gathering you see it right there palpably oh. in front of you in living flesh here we are brighton bush hot springs uh harbin hot springs which was burnt down but is now being rebuilt again oh. uh, mount madonna and uh, the santa cruz mountains of california all these wonderful centers we all have our own different angle and perspective uh, the open center is pretty unique, although no longer. We now have one in Mon- in Quebec City, another oh. urban center. Most of them tend to be retreat centers, but now we have Le Monastère des Augustines in Quebec City that oh, just wonderful. hosted this, which is uh, the uh, the oldest monastery in North America, actually north of wow. Mexico, built in 16th or started in 1639. And um, so, yeah, I think it's it's a great thing for our listeners to be aware of that there is this global network of centers. Mm-hmm. And, of course, each person in that room, of how many thousands of people it, come through each center? Is there a website for this organization? Yes, there is. Centersgathering.org. Centersgathering.org. You can spell centers both the British and the American way, E-R-R-R-E, and it'll both come up. Yeah, so that chronicles the ongoing activities of the International Centers Gathering. Beautiful. All right, time to take our, believe it or not, last commercial break. Um, I see on our live stream, Brigitte, oh, very loyal Brigitte, watching our live stream. Thank you. And we just got a couple of more likes. Thank you all. Please stay tuned and we'll be right back and we'll finish up the show. Take care. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you into comics, movies, and pop culture at large? What about music and TV? Then you're in for a treat. This is Michael Dolce, your host on TalkingAlternative.com. I've been professionally writing comic books, screenplays, and music articles for almost 15 years. Catch my show, Secrets of the Sire, at its new primetime slot, Wednesdays, 8.30 p.m. Eastern, and get the inside scoop on the pop culture universe you love to talk about. For more info, go to SecretsOfTheSire.com. TalkingAlternative.com Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. This has been a, a wonderful show with Ralph White, co-founder of the Open Center. I mean, you're, you're just, you know, for me, it's just such a thrill t- to have you come on because, you know, I kind of don't get really a lot of chance to talk to people who have been aware of this 
this aspect of life for as long as, as myself and you that you know it's nice to hear kind of the old stories of, of reminding of what it was like um, I remember one of the few mystical places in New York City there were two that I knew of as a kid growing up Weiser's Books and the Magic Shop on um, Broadway and West so it, it's great to have someone come on who has such perspective um, uh, I'm just curious, like, oh, since you've seen so much over the last 30, 40 years, and you've seen so much change and so much uh, evolution and, 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 and what's come up and, and how much difference there is now, where do you see things kind of going from here? Well, you know, the way I look at it, it I think it's an ongoing struggle, really, in a way, between mm -hmm. competing worldviews. We definitely have... Nobody would should be unaware of the regressive forces that we have to deal with in yeah. the world, whether it's all the um, really difficult, ugly forms of religious fundamentalism that we see, no matter what religion it is, yeah. or whether it's you know the primacy of economic values in all spheres with the kind of turbo capitalism we've had on Wall Street and elsewhere. Uh, I mean, it is, though, kind of interesting how in the current presidential race, not to get political, but just how we have a candidate such as Bernie Sanders being a viable candidate and Donald Trump. I mean, I you couldn't yeah, get two more right. opposite people who yeah. kind of symbolize yeah, right, right the two exactly. opposite aspects and of that's society. That's right. I, I agree. I mean, I mean, I'm a Bernie supporter. Yes. To say. We love As we Bernie. are here at the state. And... Uh, <laughs> And, uh, of course, the thing about Bernie is he doesn't look like he's going to get the nomination, but yeah. he started a movement. He's yes. been involved in the revival of the progressive movement. Yes. And uh, I just read an editorial yesterday who said that he's galvanized the progressive forces in America in a way nobody has in 70 years. We've yes. got to go, go back to Henry Wallace in the yes. 1940s to find this in FDR. Yeah. So I think it's been a magnificent uh, achievement by Bernie, and I love Bernie's environmental awareness and his own spirituality. You know, yeah. He seems to be... One of the things that's fully, rarely commented upon about Bernie is the uh, the Native American influence. Yes. When I saw him talk down at that 27,000-person rally in Washington Square, mm. he gave a beautiful talk about the Native Americans and the, what we owe them, and I, nobody yeah. covered that. No. But when when people ask Bernie about his own spirituality, even though he, cause he grew up Jewish, yes. but I think it's the, the, the sense of the interconnectedness of all life, that right. we're all in this together. Right. That's what animates Bernie, and that's a holistic perspective. Exactly. So I would think I think of Bernie as a holistic and ecological thinker in that respect. I'm not saying Hillary isn't either, but yeah, Donald Trump. I mean, what can you say? The mad, the, the the incarnation of the inflation of the ego yes. uh, to a ludicrous extent and a parody of what a successful uh, U.S. businessman is supposed to be. Right. But just but I do think there's a bit of the, though you could see it there in the campaign the struggle yeah. between a more holistic and ecological perspective on the one hand and then these regressive forces of uh, uh, the primacy of economic values, inappropriate forms of nationalism right. all over, tribalism, religious yeah. fundamentalism. Yeah. And a phrase from Rudolf Steiner that I'm very fond of, actually, he called it the superstition of scientific materialism. <laughs> <laughs> of course, scientific materialists like to think that people with a spiritual world, well, that we are. Right. I, think, I think Rudy got it right. It's, yes. I think that's a superstition. And I think the more yes. we learn about science and the universe, I mean, does, a week doesn't go by without us discovering that some huge dimension of the universe, whether it's dark matter or right. gravitational fields speaking to us that we knew nothing about before. And, and, and for me personally, I mean, I, I teach this in some of my workshops about quantum physics is the, the, the more and more these, these theoretical physicists and these quantum physicists look closer and closer and closer at what is matter and everything, it, the more and more it's turning into nothing, into energy. Mm -hmm. and, and some of the things I hear quantum physicists say today, mystics have been saying for centuries, yeah. if not thousands and thousands of years. And and so it does feel like science and spirituality are starting to come together finally. Yeah, I think most people are locked in an outdated view of science that was yeah. put on the shelf really 100 years ago when quantum physics started coming through. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you've still got that materialist mindset that still predominates in universities and yes. so on. And I yes. think that's why we need places like the Open Center to emerge from right. outside the establishment. Whenever a culture is in need of renewal, right. these places emerge that can ex be expressive of new and creative thinking. What do you think the, the, the challenge is for the Open Center these days? <laughs> 
Uh, what are the challenges for the open center these days? Um, you know, it, it's uh, there. There are always economic challenges. Mm. Um, you know, because the open center is unique. Uh, or not unique. We now have our, our fellow center in Quebec City, but nearly all ninety ninety percent of centers or more are rural centers. Right. So they, it's a different economy. You know, you you, right. you can generate income from board, from lodging, from have a captive audience for body work, etc. Right. The open center is real. Its only major source of income is its programming. Right. Although we have a bookstore and there are there are wellness. Uh, uh, sessions available as well, so I think it's never we've the open center has never got into a position of being on an easy street on that mm, basis yeah. because, and also someone like Esselin, you know, a lot of the work, the weeding, the gardens, yeah. the washing, the dishes will be done by work study people yeah, who pay for yeah. the privilege of yeah. being there. We haven't <laughs> managed to get anybody to pay us for the privilege of working at the open center yet. Maybe we should work mm, on that. Right. So I think there are all, I think there are always economic challenges, but I think it's it's also it's how does the open center stay true to its vision? Mm. You know, as we were saying earlier, this whole way of seeing the world has entered mainstream much more. So it's no longer the weekend workshop for personal growth or personal enrichment as it might have been in the 80s. That's the heart of the Open Center's economy. It began to switch some time ago to long-term in-depth programs. So mm. we're now doing a lot of certificates. We're now a New York State mm. recognized school of holistic and professional oh, really? studies. Oh, so whether it's a certificate in coaching and positive psychology, we just started one in uh, the art of dying and integrating. Of thanatology, which grows out of the work we've done around dying for over 20 years. Yeah. So I think it's people are now are looking for qualifications, you know, for. Um, for knowledge that they can really use in their day-to-day -day work. There, mm -hmm. there, there are jobs in this field, yeah, in these fields. Yeah. It's not just personal growth and spiritual practice anymore. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, Ralph, thank you so, so much for coming on the show today. If people want to find out more about the Open Center, where can they go? Yeah, they can go to the opencenter.org. Open Center. Uh, I might mention, as I did earlier, the series of conferences we've done on rediscovering the lost spiritual history of the West. Yes. So that conference, An Esoteric Quest for the Mysteries of the North in mm -hmm. Iceland, coming up at the end of August. You can go to esotericquest.org. Um, there's my own personal website, ralphwhite.net. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I should say for anybody who want to, wants to get the book, uh, yes, probably the simplest, as we have yeah. listeners all over the world, uh, is to go to Amazon.com, and mm. you can just put the jeweled highway mm. um, with one L, spelt the American way, <laughs> uh, uh, by Ralph White, and that can come up. Or you can go to the publisher's website, Divine Arts Media, and you can get it from them, too. Mm. And I should also mention The Art of Dying. Yes. Artofdying.org. That's, mm. and also, the, as we had mentioned centersgathering.org so I think all Beautiful. of those will give people a pretty comprehensive take on my work and the work of that of others that I'm involved wonderful. with. Wonderful. And also, just to let anybody know, if you're a subscriber to the newsletter, there's a link in my newsletter directly to Amazon to be able to get his book, uh, The Jeweled Highway. So, a beautiful thank you so much. It's been a pleasure having you come in the studio today, Ralph. Thank you, Sam. It's been a pleasure you're, for me. You're quite welcome. And of course, for all of our listeners tuning in from all over the world, thank you for, for listening. And uh, next... Um, uh, Frank About Health is on hiatus this week, perhaps next week too. We'll see when they're coming back. Um, but just if you haven't not yet, please sign up for our newsletter so you can stay on top of all of the latest announcements. Thank you for listening and we will talk to you next week. You are listening to the Talking Alternative Network. Are you concerned about epilepsy, autism, or diabetes? Are you interested in alternative treatments, the impact of health, or new therapies? Then tune into my show, Frank About Health. I'm Frank Harrison, the host. Tune in on Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc, where you learn more about these illnesses, treatments, the social impacts, and create a dialogue with each other. 
That's Frank About Health, Thursdays, 1 p.m. Eastern, on talkradio.nyc. Are you into comics, movies, and pop culture at large? What about music and TV? Then you're in for a treat. This is Michael Dolce, your host on TalkingAlternative.com. I've been professionally writing comic books, screenplays, and music articles for almost 15 years. Catch my show, Secrets of the Sire, at its new primetime slot, Wednesdays, 8.30 p.m. Eastern, and get the inside scoop on the pop culture universe you love to talk about. For more info, go to secretsofthesire.com. Hey, all you crazy listeners. Looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at talkingalternative.com. Hello, I'm JC. I'm Joan. And And welcome welcome to 21st Century Entrepreneur. We bring education, insight, knowledge, awareness, trouble, craziness, and fun. For you, the entrepreneur who's looking to build your business. And your community. Listen every Friday from noon to 1 Eastern on talkradio.nyc. And you can tweet us at 21stCE Radio or Talk Alternative. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network, 